As Roger said, uh, today's question is, who is God? And I'm assuming that you're here this morning because you're interested in finding an answer to that question. And it's a pretty big question, isn't it? Who is God? And there's two broad ways we can go about answering a question like this. Uh, We could make up an answer. So, you know, I like to think of God as, and then you fill in the blank. Or we can look at what God has to say about himself. And obviously we're much better off if we listen to God tell us who he is rather than making him up. It'd be a little bit like you saying, I like to think of Alan, that's me, I like to think of Alan as someone who likes ballet and a nice pot of coffee. Now, that'd be nice for you to think that, but it's just not true. I don't like ballet, coffee, anything like that. There's no point, is there, in just making up what someone is like. Now, of course, it's exactly the same with God, like in Wayne's kid's spot. There's no point making up who he is. If we're going to know God, we have to come to him on his terms. We're going to have to deal with him as he actually is. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a bit of the Bible, which is where God tells us who he is. You might have noticed in the reading that Carla just read for us, the action centers around a guy named Paul, and he answers this exact question. Who is God? And as we listen to what he's got to say, Paul's going to give us a really clear and helpful answer. Paul was one of the earliest leaders in the church. He spent his time traveling around the Roman world, uh, telling people about God. Our reading sees Paul in the Greek city of Athens. So let's listen to the beginning of his speech. The words are going to come up on the screen for you, and I'll do this each time I refer to something that we read in the Bible. So in verse 22 we read, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. Paul describes the people there as very religious Uh, What that tends to mean is that they're making up their own gods. Uh, They know there's a God, but they're answering the question of who he is themselves. And they're coming up with all sorts of answers, which is what happens today, isn't it? I mean, we've got Islam and Buddhism and crystals. We've got the stars. Some people think of the universe as God. The people of Athens were no different. They had countless objects of worship. They had idols and temples and altars everywhere. They were so religious, they even had an altar to an unknown God. The God they hadn't thought of yet. Or the God they didn't know about yet. Or the God that might be there, and so they're just making sure, whatever, we get the picture, they didn't have certainty about who God is. But Paul's aim on this day was to give them clarity. As he said, what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. He's going to tell them who God actually is, which is great for us because we get to sit in and listen and hear his speech and find out who God is. Don't get too comfortable, though, because Paul isn't just going to be giving some lecture imparting information. If we actually find out who God is, that'll rock your world. Not surprisingly, Paul, he's got a kicker of a conclusion. And it's one that still holds for you and me today. 
So let's listen in and hear who God truly is. And the first thing to know about God is that he is the creator. He is the maker of everything. Uh, Let me read to you from verse 23. Again, it's up on the screen. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. The God who made the world and everything in it. That's the first thing to know about God. He made the world, which means he owns the world. When I was at school, I uh, I wasn't that great at woodwork. Uh, In class, we'd make things uh, like coffee cup holders, you know, a bit of wood with bits of dowel coming out of it to hang the handles of the mugs on, like the one on the screen. Well, I was so slow with this project that I never got the bits of dowel on. And so I was left with pretty much a piece of wood. Yay me. But I made this piece of wood, and so it was mine. I owned it. And I could do with it whatever I wanted. And it pleased me to give it to the one person who wouldn't say no. That's how my mum ended up with a great paper towel holder. (laughs) Now, my point is that because I made the paper towel holder, it was mine and I got to do with it whatever I wanted. In verse 24, God made the world, everything in it. And so he owns it. God made you. God made me. He owns us. Which brings us to the obvious second thing to know about God, and that is if he's our creator and our owner, well, then, of course, he's our Lord. So here's verse 24 again. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. The maker of the world is, of course, the Lord of the world. Of course, God has the right to tell us how to live. He's our maker, our owner, our master, our Lord, which means we're responsible to him for how we live. Now, we'll think about more of that in a little bit. But for now, if God is our creator and our Lord, he is very impressive. He is not someone who needs help with anything. The funny thing is, though, when people make up their own gods, they tend to come up with pretty puny ones. You know, gods who constantly need attention, gods who need their egos stroked, gods who need people to do things for them. But the real God, he doesn't need us at all. He's the creator and the Lord of everything. He doesn't need anyone or anything. This is what we read in verse 25. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. See, God doesn't need anyone. In fact, everyone else needs him. As the end of the verse says, he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. This is a vital truth to get right about God. We need him, not the other way around. He's the one who's the Lord. He's the one who's in control, not us. Now, we like to think that we're in control. Now, you know, we've all got our diaries and our planners and our phones, and they give us the illusion of control because we can, you know, we know what we're doing and when we're going to do it and where we're going to be. And the more organised we are, the more we can fool ourselves into thinking that we are the captain of our own destinies. 
but it's all just a mirage. And deep down we know it. Because one day you get that phone call that you're not in control of, and it's the doctor. He's got really bad news about your blood tests. Or it's your mum ringing to tell you your dad's just died suddenly. Or it's your financial planner saying you better not retire. You know, put that off for another five, ten years. Your savings aren't what they used to. Look, there's any number of different things that can happen, aren't there, when our safe and controlled lives, like a bubble, they can just get popped. Our very existence tells us that we are in need of God. God doesn't need us. We need him. Now, all this might be making God sound a bit aloof, uncaring even. You know, the maker and the ruler of the universe with no need for us at all. And look, all of these things are true, but God is not just these things. Sure, he doesn't need us, but God wants us. He wants us to actually know him. He doesn't want us to invent a new God or to guess who he is. He made us so that we might reach out and find him. So this is what it says in verse 26. From one man, Paul continues, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God, the maker and the owner and the ruler of the world, and why did he put us on this tiny speck of dust in the universe? And why did he put us in this time and in this place? Verse 27 tells us that God did this so that we would seek after him, reach out for him and find him. He wants us to know him. And friends, just breathe in how extraordinary that is. We are talking about the owner, the maker, the ruler of the entire universe. And God wants to know you. Many adopted children grow up wanting to meet and know their there are biological parents. You know, they want to know who they are and where did they come from. One article I was reading was talking about a lady who had been reunited with her biological parents and she said, just being able to walk down the road and not have to look at everyone thinking, are you my mum? Are you my dad? To not have to do that anymore, she said, it was just enormous. To know where you've come from to make sense in some way of who you are, to try and fit together the pieces of your life, to be united to your beginnings. Friends, God is your beginning and your end. He is who your whole life is to be all about, your powerful maker and owner. He towers over you and then he bends down to welcome you, to know you, to be known by you. We've covered a lot of territory, but this part of the Bible, it's answered our question. So let me summarize it for you. Who is God? He's our maker, our owner, our Lord. He doesn't need us at all, but he wants us to know him. So how? How do you get to know this God, the real God? If he wants us to know him, how do I? 
Well, thankfully, again, we're not in the dark because as Paul moves into the second half of his speech, he turns to this exact question. And the first thing we're told about how to know God is what we are not to do, and that is we're not to have any idols. In other words, we're not to make up things about him. You've got to deal with God as he is, not as you'd like him to be, not as you imagine him to be, but as God actually is. So verse 29, Paul puts it like this. Since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. See, you can't imagine something up by yourself and then call it God. That's just silly. Be like grabbing a, a nice piece of wood and you know, and you clean it and you sand it and you cut it and you shape it and then you look at it and you say to everyone, This is God. No, it's not. It's a piece of wood. <laughs> a piece of wood I might have done a bit of woodwork with, not me. I would have to get someone else to do that, obviously, but it's just a piece of wood. You can't make up who God is to suit ourselves. That's, that's just living in fantasy land, isn't it? Now, we're obviously far too sophisticated to make up, you know, come up with an idol out of wood or stone. But lots of people still, that they make up who they think God is. And then they assume that what they've come up with is true. So, you know, I like to think of God as kind and caring and he never gets angry. He just always accepts people as they are. Now, it might be nice for you to think that about God, but it's useless if it's not actually true. There's no use us inventing a God. If we're going to know God, we've got to come to him on his terms. You've got to deal with him as he actually is, which brings us to what we need to do if we are to know God. And that is we have to repent. Repent can be one of those you know, religious words. Uh, but it's really a straightforward idea. It's simply stopping doing one thing, starting doing another. If repent was a, you know, like a road sign, it would be the wrong way, go back sign. You know, stop going this way, start heading in the opposite direction. That's what we need to do if we're to know God. We've got to stop being satisfied with who we like to think God is. We've got to stop making up our own God and get to know the real God. We've got to stop ignoring him and start paying him close attention. We've got to stop defying him and start obeying him. We've got to start acknowledging God for who he says he is. And we've got to stop trusting ourselves with how we're going to live. We've got to start trusting God with how we're going to live. This is how Paul puts it in verse 30. He says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now... He commands all people everywhere to repent. Now, please notice who needs to repent. All people everywhere. We're not left with any wiggle room here. And why does everyone have to repent? Because God is going to judge us. God is going to bring down his verdict on the way we've lived our lives. That's why we need to repent. And this is much bigger than, you know, doing the wrong thing in the classroom while the teacher's out. But then the lookout sees the teacher coming back. Hey, teacher's coming and everyone starts doing the right thing again. That's not the kind of repentance we're talking about here. We're not trying to fool a teacher. We're trying to survive the judgment day of God. That's why we need to repent. 
End of verse 30 again. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. God is going to judge us by Jesus Christ. God raised Christ from the dead to be our Lord and our judge. It is the Lord Jesus who will send us either to heaven or to hell. But friends, the fact that it is Jesus that will be our judge. That is what gives us hope. Because before Jesus was raised from the dead, he first had to die. And the Bible is very clear that when Christ died on that cross, he died for the sins of the world. The Lord Jesus, he swapped places with sinners like you and me. Because you and I, we haven't treated God well. Not the true God well. We haven't lived with him as our maker and our owner, our Lord and our judge. You and I, we haven't come close to treating God right. And we'll be judged by him for it. But God himself holds out a peace offering to us all. He says, Christ has already died for sin so that you can be forgiven. This is how much God wants us to know him. He would even take our sins and die for us. And then the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead. And so he is now able to completely forgive all who repent and turn to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Friends, do you want to know God? All you need to do is repent. Simply acknowledge that this is who God actually is and live with him. As your Lord, your Lord who is willing to forgive you. So what next? Where to from here? Well, after Paul finished his speech, there were three different responses from the people in the crowd. And we could do any of these three, though I'm begging you, please don't do the first one. The first response we're told of is that some people sneered. So verse 32 reads, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. See, they poo-pooed Paul and all his talk of God as the maker and the Lord and the judge. They dismissed him. They rejected Jesus. Friends, this is clearly the wrong response. More than wrong, dangerous. I can't stop you, but I'm begging you, please don't do this. At the very least, do the second response we're told of, and that is to inquire, to find out more. Verse 32 again, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Maybe that's you. Maybe you want to find out more. You'd like to hear more about this, God. This morning it's been interesting, but you're going to need to know more if you're going to give up your life and start trusting Jesus with it. And look, we got, if that's you, we've got plenty of opportunities coming up for you. As Roger was saying, this week we're having what we call our Good News Week. There's a heap of different events that you can come along to and find out more about God. We'd love you to come and join us. There's the cards in the table, all the information's there. Next Sunday, come back to church because we're going to be having a talk next week on who is Jesus. So we'll be thinking more closely about who he is and how we can know God through him. 
The week after that, we'll be starting an Investigating Jesus course where you can find out even more. Look, there's lots and lots of opportunities. But maybe right now you're sitting there and you're ready. You're ready to repent and to submit to God, to trust him as your God. This is what some of the people did that day with Paul. Verse 34 reads, A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Some of the people there that day believed in God. Is that you this day? Are you ready to surrender to God? To stop running your own life and instead acknowledge God as your Lord? To do this, you simply need to talk to him. I'm going to pray in a moment and I invite you to join me in talking to God. And these are the kinds of things I'll be saying. The first thing is to tell God that you're sorry. You know, you're sorry for ignoring and defying him. Is that you? I'll also be saying, please, please, God, forgive me because Jesus died for my sin. Do you want to be forgiven by God? And I'll also be saying, please, God, help me now to live completely for you. I surrender and God, you are now my master and my Lord. Is that you? If so, then in the quietness of your own mind, please pray with me now. I'll say a sentence and I'll leave a gap, leave a space so that you can say those words yourself to God in the quietness of your own thoughts. Friends, let's pray. Lord God, I am sorry for ignoring you. I'm sorry for defying you. I'm sorry for living as if I'm in charge. Please forgive me. Thank you that Jesus has already died for my sin. Because of him, please forgive me. And please help me to live for you from now on. I surrender to you. You're my Lord and God now. Please help me to live completely for you. Amen. Friends, if you have prayed that kind of prayer for the first time, that's brilliant. And uh, we would love to be able to help you as much as we can as you start on your new life with God. So this morning, make sure you let someone know, won't you? Uh, If you came along with someone, chat to them. If you've been uh, coming to church for years, but really this morning was the first time it's kind of clicked, Make sure you talk to someone. Simply say, you can come and chat to me if you like. I'll hang around the front. Chat to Roger, who's leading the meeting. Just say, I prayed that prayer today. Uh, Because we would love to celebrate with you and to help you as much as we can as you start on your new life with God.